Continuing on then, the Christian's conscience, like we said, must be enlightened. And when he can discern between good and evil, it means he's spiritual and he can have ministry. There's no place where baby Christians and novices really have a ministry because ministries like that and callings, you have to be accountable and you can be punished and chastened by the Lord. And so he doesn't give those things to novices. They're to drink the milk of the word and grow thereby and study themselves and obey their conscience where they're at. So only a a person that matures can answer to the Lord and be a steward and be corrected by the Lord if he fails. He's responsible to the Lord. The spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. They're not overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit moves them and gives them a word, and they can refuse to give it, or they can give it at a certain time. They have their spiritual mind. They have the ability to make choices. So the Spirit does not overwhelm them. He inspires them. Only those under demons are controlled. A lot of people who were in seances and fortune-telling, if they had a real familiar spirit, most of the time they don't know what they're saying. And they ask people afterwards what they said because that spirit controlled them. They'd given themselves over to that spirit. Well, God doesn't work that way. Man always has a will and a choice to do things that God wishes, and we're to be led of the Spirit. We're not compelled of the Spirit or overwhelmed. We can be filled and inspired and feel free to do something, but still we're responsible for any ministry, anything we say. You can't blame it on God. Oh, the Lord made me. No, that don't work that way. But if you're spiritually mature, you can judge the motive and intent. You can tell if something's spiritual or not, and a baby Christian cannot. They're not trained that way. Their conscience has not been trained that way or enlightened, okay? So all things are pure. All things are pure to the Christian's conscience. If he's mature, he has liberty. He understands he can use things, but they're not to use him. He can use money. He can use materialism. He can use the world, but the world is not to use him. So he has the liberty to not be brought under anything. But he has a certain freedom that he doesn't have to be brought under the bondage of these compelling forces. He can control them, and he can refuse to do certain things. And so everything in itself is pure whether it's money or alcohol or sex, if it's done within God's laws. And if it's done outside of God's will, it's called transgression. Transgression is to go beyond what is permitted. So you are permitted to make a living and make money and use it. But you're not permitted to be covetous. You're not permitted to live in luxury and self-indulgence. That's a sin. Alcohol can be used for medicines. It can be used for many things. But if it's used to make you drunk, you're going to hell. So in itself, it's neutral. It's only what a man does with things that makes it good or evil. Okay. Okay, go to Galatians. 
We're going to go back to the observance of days and months, just to clarify something more. Go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. We talked about the the Sabbath. We live in a perpetual Sabbath, a spiritual Sabbath. We're not bound by days. So uh, verse 9 and 10, Paul says, But after you have known God, he's talking about the Christian spiritual, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements? You've gone back to the law and the bondage of the law, to which you desire again to be in bondage. So he's talking about the Christian Jews too. You want to go back? You started off spiritually, and now you're going to be perfected by going back and putting yourself in bondage. So he's reproving them. And he says what? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored in vain. He's saying Christianity, grace and faith has done you no good if you go back to the law. And there was nothing to go back to because the Lord abolished and fulfilled the keeping of the law. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Therefore, like he's talking to the these were Jews misguided. Some of them weren't even Christians, and they were trying to lure the Christian back under the law. Therefore, let no one judge you when it comes to food and drink. You're free to drink and eat anything. But the law put really restrictions. He said, don't let no one judge you regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath or Sabbath. See, these are all under the law. He said, they'll tell you you got to observe these things. And he was saying, don't let them bring you under that. And the word Sabbath, some translate it Sabbath, plural. But the most clear one is it's singular. But even... If it was a special Sabbath, which they had during feast times, it was held equal to the regular Sabbath. So he said, I'm afraid of you because you observe Sabbaths. You're brought under its control, that you're a Christian, you're free. You're not under the bondage of any day. You can worship the Lord anytime you want to publicly, is what he was saying to them. Uh-huh. So he wanted them to understand their freedom. You have liberty to gather at any place, at any time, on any day, because you live in a perpetual Sabbath. Just because you're a Christian and a letter of the Lord, you're free from those things. Uh-huh. So the Jews, Christian, often had a hard time crossing over and undoing what they'd done for centuries, and everything now the Gentiles been told, is edible for you. Well, some of the Jews still had a problem. And that's why Paul said, bear with them. But he said, the word has sanctified these things. You're eligible now. You have liberty to do these things. And so until the conscience is enlightened by the word and the spirit, we can't presume. Until we mature, the conscience is not trained properly is what he's saying, okay? Go to verse 10. These men, the ones who want to be deacons, uh, must also be tested, proven. Let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach, okay? These men must be proven, tested, 
if found solid and mature in their private life. If they live a good Christian life and they don't do something that causes people to wonder and causes the world to say, is that a Christian? It means they have to be respectable and in good character. Then he said they can be deacons then. Same thing applies to them. If they're in that position, they're supposed to be spiritually mature. So they have to be able to teach the gospel one-on-one. They're not public teachers. They're not overseers and teaching elders. But it means individually they can talk to another Christian or an outsider and tell them things about the gospel and what it means. All mature Christians should be able to do that is what he's talking about, okay? But they were not uh, shepherds or overseers. They were not in charge of pronouncing the word publicly to gatherings, okay? Women, now he gets to this. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things, okay? Either he's talking about the wives of the overseers and deacons, or in this case, deaconess. So they did things other than teach the word, even the men. They helped and made public ministries of helps, of taking care of widows and orphans. And they did it as a group rather than an individual. So they had the ministry and the leadership in those things. So they weren't ruling over anybody. So the women were capable of doing this. They ministered to the needs of Jesus and the apostles for three years. Women followed them and took care of their clothes and often fed them. When the 70 disciples followed around, often their wives and sisters went. They did things. They ministered. People don't hear much about that. That was their calling and gift, and God used them. But they were not teachers over the public people, okay? So these women also have to be careful. They have to be mature. They cannot be slanderers. They cannot be a gossip. They cannot be a mischief maker, a tale bearer. See, some women coming into the fellowship out of the crude world, they just got saved. They were born again. They hadn't been taught manners. Many of these cults and religions are very perverse and very rude, and they had all kinds of rules. You could bring curses on people by doing this and doing that. They were in a lot of demonology. They just didn't know it was demons, okay? So when they came in, they had to be taught manners and kindness and not be troublemakers. So he said that kind of person then could not be doing deacon's work if they're not mature and past that stuff, okay? They must be sound, uh, temperate, not given to drink, the same word used for overseers and the male deacons, and this applies to both now, faithful in word and character. And what was the great thing that Paul said the Lord appreciated with the women? A meek and quiet spirit. That's why you don't hear much about all the women that followed Jesus and the disciples around and fed them and provided for them and gave them hospitality at times. Well, women provided that. But they were quiet. They weren't preaching. They weren't taking over, being leaders. They weren't prophetess and apostles. There's no such teaching, okay? And so a meek and quiet spirit, not a debater, or a person of strife, or vain, 
So men, like I say, in the synagogue could discuss scripture. They could debate scripture. They could reprove each other and correct each other while they was teaching the law. But women could not. So said God doesn't give the woman power over the man. Men in gatherings or even their husbands. Well, that blows a lot of our democratic system and government, doesn't it? And that's why we're regressing further. The scripture said it's a shame when women rule over you and children are your oppressors. So when a woman's a boss, she's on her way to hell. I don't care what good she does. She's bossy and tries to rule her husband. That's where she's going because she's not fulfilled her duty. In God's eyes, Paul said, what is precious, very special to God in a woman was a meek and quiet spirit. It means she kept her mouth shut publicly. If she needed to ask things, she knew where to do it. She didn't draw attention to herself. She didn't dress like a whore. She didn't flaunt her lewd looks and and, and overdo her dress because she's still of the world if she does that. She's not spiritual. She has no business having a ministry. Okay. 3.12. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife, same as the overseer. We talked about that. Good managers of their children and their own households. So he's talking about the children that live with them. Even young adults, if they lived with their father and mother, they had to submit to them. If they didn't want to, they had to move out and become a man or a woman. We use the women, we restrict it more. But they had to obey their parents and obey the authority of the home. And so children were not allowed to be rebellious and, and rule and boss their parents, which they do now. So the same as the overseer. Their wives, basically, their Christian wives, they must be obedient and the children must be in order. How will you manage the fellowship, the Christian fellowship, if your wife rules you and your children are spoiled and rebellious? So it's common sense, as we said. Isaiah again says, it said, it's a shame. God considers a shame when women rule. That's in the government or anything. Doesn't mean how brilliant they are. It said, it's a shame. And then when children are your oppressors, parents want to be loved, so they give in to their kids and their kids manipulate them. They want to be their child's friend. Well, when they do that, they lose respect. And the child treats them like he would a friend. And you know how that happens at times. And that was not permitted. Under the law, a young adult that lived at home with his parents If he cursed his parents, he was be stoned to death. So if he couldn't behave himself as a young adult, it was better he got out because there were consequences if he did certain things, okay? And this happens. Remember many, many years ago, I was with a group of about 15, 20 people, and we were invited to a man's home to have church there one morning on Sunday. So we all went there to have fellowship. But as we were going up to the house, the front door, this man was having an argument, a dispute with his son who was in his mid-twenties. Well, the son, he didn't want us to have church there. 
You know why? Because he was embarrassed and he didn't want his friends knowing that he had church in his home. So he talked his father and argued with him. And the father gave way. Uh huh. So we left. We were not allowed to have church there. And that's too bad. And when I walked across the lawn, the first time I ever did that, people looked at me because I stopped and I shook the dust off my feet. And they were surprised. I said, oh, we have to do this at times. He said, that means your peace cannot rest here and that dust will be a witness against them and God holds the man, the father, in contempt because he gave way. He offended the church of Christ rather than his wicked son. He chose to give in to his son and he was supposed to be a Christian. So the Lord tells us, don't let your peace rest here. Let it return to you, and God will remember this, okay? And that's what we did. So we went somewhere else, and someone else invited us into their home. So we had church that morning in their home, okay? 13, for those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a high standing and great faith or confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So if you're a faithful deacon, ministering tables is what it's called, because you're not ministering the word basically in your deacon's word, except for one-on-one if you're sharing with other Christians and praying with them. So it meant later on you could be raised to be a teacher or an overseer. You already proved your maturity. You're being proven still as a deacon, and if you are very good at it, then you can consider being a public church teacher or an elder, an overseer. That means you're meeting the qualifications, okay? Let's look at Acts chapter 6. Let's look at verse 2 through 4. Well, the widows of certain groups of people were having problems with each other, and some of the Jews or the Gentiles were complaining because their widows weren't being taken care of properly like the others were. So they were making a a legitimate complaint, and they brought it to the apostles. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. That's why most shepherds today are foolish and false. They're trying to serve tables. Their main job is to pray and minister the word. But see, they're hirelings. We hire them to do everything, huh? And that's what people expect. And that's why they're not sound in faith. And the minister, because he's paid, he tries to please everybody instead of trying to do what God tells him to do. And if he spent too much time in the word and prayer, they'll get rid of him because they don't want that kind of minister. They want one to do what they want. And the itching ear teachers give in and say, let's please them. And he said, it's not only good. He said, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, that we may appoint over the business. So you among yourselves are spiritual. There's many of the 70 were still there. He said, you choose among yourselves who you think is qualified, has a lot of wisdom, and we'll lay hands on them and approve them, and God will give them more grace. So that's what they were talking about. 
And so it pleased them. And it's interesting, two of them were Stephen and Philip. So they were sort of deacons of the whole church there, not of a local gathering, but they were sound in a faith. Philip preached the gospel. And we know the end of Stephen as the martyr, what happened to him. So it wasn't just for a small local group. He was talking about the whole church administration in Jerusalem. But the people came to the apostles and they expected them and they were smart enough. We can't do all of that. That is not our main ministry. As apostles and prophets, our main ministry is a ministry of the word and prayer. And we're not going to be talked into doing this other stuff. You get somebody else to do that, okay? So they were smart. They knew what the Lord was. I've heard people tell me Peter was proud and the Lord was going to have to humble him. I thought, no, you're stupid and you don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth. Jesus and James would have said, you're foolish and you shouldn't be a teacher and keep your mouth shut because you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus was very sharp with his disciples. He rebuked them at times. He said, how long have I been with you and you ain't caught on yet? And they were afraid to ask him things at times because he was going to rebuke them. He was sitting there thinking, you should be caught on by this. Jesus was not mealy-mouthed with them. If they needed rebuking and correcting, he knew how to do it. And they feared him that way. They understood that. That's why Peter, at the last supper they were having, got John. He was the youngest. He poked John. He said, because he sat next to Jesus. And Jesus just said, one of you are going to betray me. And you know, Peter didn't look over to the Lord and said, who, Lord? He knew the Lord might rebuke him and tell him, mind your own business. So he poked John, said, ask him. He knew if he rebuked John, it would be more gentle. Peter would be dealt with more sharply. And so when John asked him, he said, it's whomsoever I dip the bread and the wine with the same person. Well, when he dipped his bread into the wine, Judas came across the table and dipped it. He could have been sitting on the other side of him. And the scripture says that's where the devil entered him. That's when it was too late for Judas. That's when he sealed his doom. The devil possessed him then. But it's interesting, Peter wouldn't ask Jesus who it was. So he got John to do it. John was probably in his late teens or very early 20s at that time. Okay, But it's interesting, these deacons, <laughs> Stephen and Philip, they preached the gospel. And they scattered later under the persecution. And Philip went down to Ethiopia and preached. And of course, Stephen reproved the priest and they stoned him to death. And they were appointed to take care of tables. Isn't that interesting? So they were sort of like deacons over the whole group. They weren't deacons of a little gathering, okay? So mostly what Timothy's talking about, these are local gathering, home gatherings, that they're to have overseer and teaching elders. They're not to have a group that there's not a mature person who can guide and teach them. If there isn't, it can't be a church. God's lampstand is not there, okay? He just deals with the individual. So today, like I say, that's why most of the churches are not lampstands. They're not churches before the Lord. They have Christians in there trying to do certain things. But if the pastors and shepherds and the teaching elders are not mature and following the Lord, then the Lord's not there. 
his lampstand is not, he don't recognize it as a church. So that offends many, but that's where we're at. We're in the dark times. So they must be able to minister the word and be led of the spirit. And that's why we have so much false doctrine and false fellowships because we don't have that. And it's the people's fault also. They're not going to be able to blame anybody else. The people heap to themselves teachers. It's the gathering of the congregation that wants ministers and teachers that tell them what they want to hear because they're not spiritual. And they want to be rubber stamped and pacified and told, no matter what you do, God loves you anyway. And he loves you unconditionally. And he knows you're going to sin. So why change? That's the kind of doctrines they love. So these ministers, they spend so little time and studying scripture and obeying the Lord. You know what they're called? They're called hirelings. They're hired, but the sheep, they're not that interested in them. They're interested in making money. So when a shepherd hired one, it was only temporarily. He knew the hireling wasn't going to protect his sheep as well as he could. He was going to do the minimum to make money. And that's why he's called a hireling. He's not a true shepherd. Okay, well, let's go. Well, we could get ahead, but let's do it anyway. Second Timothy 3, 16. Of course, you hear these scripture all the time. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and training and righteousness. All of this is included in the call teacher, the teaching elder, the teaching pastor. Anybody in a five-fold ministry has to be doing these things. Why? So the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. He's to help mature disciple. When you disciple someone, you are bringing them up to a place that they can be led of the Spirit themselves, and they don't have to ask questions of everybody else all the time. They know what the Lord's doing, and that means they're mature. doesn't mean they know everything, in this, but it seems they're able to be led of the Lord. And if they're able to do that, they're able to teach. And that's what he's talking about, okay? But chapter 4, verse 2 to 4, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season when it's comfortable and when it's not. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Who? The pastors and the teachers, the teaching elders. Anybody in the public teaching ministry, notice what he says. Reprove and rebuke and exhort. They're the negative side, and he mentions them first. But see, the people don't want to endure that anymore. They won't endure it, and now he's going to tell us. He says, for the time will come when they, who the congregation, will not endure sound teaching, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accommodate themselves with teachers and according to their own desires. So they want the teachers to say, God wants you to prosper. God wants you to be a king's kid. He wants you happy. He wants you to find your life, and you can do what you want. The Lord will rubber stamp it. It's all self-indulgence, and the self-life has nothing to do with self-denial or taking up the cross, or you're bought with a price, and you're not your own. They don't want to hear that, okay? And they will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to myths or lies, okay? So he's saying that's what's going to happen to these people, okay? 
God's going to give them over the lying spirits because they reject the truth and they don't like a sound teacher. And that's why sound teachers are not popular figures. And that's why they're not on television. And that's why they don't have mega ministries. They don't want them. The world loves its own. And they want religious people to accommodate them and to ease their conscience and make them feel they're okay. But what do you think is going to happen in the day of judgment? The scripture said the priests ruled by their own authority and the prophets prophesied falsely and the people love it so. And then the prophet said, but what will they do in the end? They'll burn in the lake of fire. That's what they're going to do. See, so there's consequences to disobeying and not fulfilling your ministry and the way God's dealing with you. And so in the dark spiritual age we live in, we are entering the time of Noah and Lot. We're there now. And you don't find many lights on the city hill. There's not many real fellowships that are led of the Lord. You can't find them. And the more people I talk to are spiritual, the less they see it. And they go around and searched and can't find it. Because see, it's getting darker and darker. So it's up to the candles and a few Christians to try to stand for the Lord. But if you stand too hard in some of these churches you're ministering in, they're going to throw you out because they don't want that. Or you're going to have to compromise the truth. And when you do that, you will damn your soul. And that's why James said, we'll receive the stricter judgment. If you preach false or you don't give the truth because you're afraid of something, you need to get out of it. You don't need to ever be teaching because you're, you're digging a deeper hell is what you're doing. God is going to hold you very accountable. So we're living at a time where there's the falling away of the true church is happening. Not a falling away from big religious gatherings and, and pleasing people. Oh, we got mega churches and 60 some percent of Americans think they're fine Christians. I doubt whether it's 3%, but that's beside the point. Okay. But they name the name of Christ, name only, no life. They entertain each other. They're building up one another's ego and self-esteem. Where is all this teaching coming from? It ain't coming from the Bible. I could name some people you know you think is a Bible teacher. But when they start teaching self-esteem, the Bible talked about going to the cross and denying yourself. He didn't talk about finding your life. See, they're teaching people how to find their life. Well, Jesus said, if you find your life, you lose it eternally. Because when I bought you, you're mine. You're my child, you're my slave, and don't you call me Lord if you're not going to do what I tell you. Well, they think God's supposed to rub a stamp and make them happy. I've had so many people tell me, well, God wants me happy. There's no such scripture. God wants you joyful in tribulation and serving the Lord, and through much tribulation we... But as I've said before, the general happiness of the world is when you find your life. You're happy when things go your way selfish. Uh -huh. And it changes in the world. But a Christian can have joy and sorrow at the same time. The world can't have happiness and sorrow at the same time, basically. They're either happy with everything's going on, or they're depressed. Joy is from the Lord. It's a spiritual thing. 
and as much persecution and trouble Paul had, he always said rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. So it was a spiritual thing. It wasn't finding one's life. And that's what people want. They don't hear about self-denial. They don't hear about sacrifice, suffering. Someone said, if your Christianity doesn't cause you suffering, you got the wrong deal. If everything goes well with you all the time, you've probably been blessed by the devil because you're no threat to him. But if you proclaim the word and live the Christian life, Peter said what? To live godly, he said, you'll suffer persecution. He said, the world will hate you, Jesus said. You're not going to be popular with them. And the world runs the churches nowadays as a whole. It's the world doing this. And who's up there in the pulpit? The devil's inspiring them. That's what's going on. And the people love it so. So they're not to be excused or feel sorry for. They've opened themselves. They got Bibles if they want to know the truth, but they don't want to know the truth. They have enough of their conscience to know if you live wickedly, you go to hell. So they want to live as close as they can to the world and not offend God. But see, that's a wicked nature. It means their heart has not changed. They just fear punishment. Well, while people are dying, yeah, they want to get right, but very few of them get right. And the scripture says God mocks their fear. You don't hear about that, do you? It says when the wicked die, three out of four times that God is laughing in scripture through Psalms and Proverbs, he's mocking the wicked in the day of their terror. He said, you refused me, you persecuted mine, and I will mock your terror in the day of death. No, people don't like, that's the wrath of God, which remains on people who do not come to the Lord. Jesus said, if they believe not, obey not the Son, the wrath of God remains on them. But see, God so loved the world, it means his intentions, his benevolence. He wants to save them and them change. But his attitude toward the sinner and sin has not changed. And Peter said, we're to flee the wrath to come, and Jesus has saved us from the wrath to come. So he's telling us there's going to be wrath one day, and those that are not in Christ Jesus are going to have a terrible time. Okay, And many of them are going to think they were Christians. So many of the world people in the churches and organizations, they're big on knowledge, and they want toys and excitements to satisfy the carnal mind but they don't obey anything that's true. Once they heard it, they want something new, you know, like philosophers. That information is not making them in tune to God. They honor God with their lips. They sing the hymns. They go to church once, twice a week, give some money. But he said, but their heart is far from me. They say, Lord, Lord, and they know some truth, and they believe he died on a cross and raised again, and two billion of them are going to hell as a whole. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord, you're my Lord. But see, he could say, why call me Lord, Lord? You didn't do what I said. You're workers of evil, and you do not do the will of my Father. And that's going to be the majority of people that claim to be Christians. He's saying they never were saved, okay? There was never no real change, heart change. So that's what he's going to say to the lawless people. So people need to evaluate, if I'm going to follow the Lord, am I going to obey him on my conscience? 
or am I just going to pacify? Because you can only deceive yourself. You're not fooling the Lord, okay? Only thing God's interested in hearing is repentance from the wicked people. He's not interested in their happiness, okay? He's interested in holiness. See, people want something new all the time. They're intellectual. Everything that Jesus said could be read in an hour. Every time he went to different towns, he preached the same thing, just in different manners. He told the same parables, 40 of them roughly. He spent three and a half years doing this. He didn't keep giving them new stuff. He kept saying, if you're not going to obey me, you know, what good is it? People have told me, well, you need to teach this and that. We've heard that before. I said, but you're not doing it. So we will close him. Our Lord, give us wisdom and give us understanding. Let us see the truth and not be deceived. In Jesus' name, amen.